I want to remind all of you that God has promised to bless those who bless Israel. In Genesis 12, verse 3, the Lord said of Israel, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God spoke that unto Abraham, and Abraham, of course, being the father of Israel. Secondly, we know from Scripture that as Christians, we owe a great debt to the Jewish people for their preservation of the Scriptures for over 3,000 years. Think about that. The Bible that you have tonight, that you love, you cherish, you study, came to us through the stewardship of those of the Old Testament, the scholars, that in preserving the word, so reverent was the word of God to those ancient scholars that their process of honoring the word and transcribing the word bears the test of not only time tonight, but of all elements of scrutiny. The Bible in its original language is flawless. Perfect, inspired word, God-breathed Bible. We're thankful for the Jews that preserve the word. Think of that. And I'm not going to mention all the other stuff, by the way, is how uh, if it comes to winning Nobel Prizes, it's, it's the Jews. What's with that? Right? Inventions. Your, your cell phones, your computers, on and on it goes. They're a people that God said, I've chosen you. And he reminded them, by the way, just to keep them humble. In the book of Deuteronomy, he said, don't think I've chose you because you're special than anybody else on earth. He said, I actually chose you because you're very stubborn. And God said, yet I'll save you. That's, that brings hope to all of the rest of us, right? <laughs> but we are endeared to the Hebrew prophets who told us who to look for regarding the coming of the Messiah. In fact, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, as we know him, in Romans 15, verse 27, says, For if the Gentiles have been partakers of God's spiritual blessings toward the Jews, then it is our duty to minister to them in material things. And Jesus said himself, Salvation is of the Jews. Think of that. Where did God first reveal salvation? According to his ancient prophets, to the Jews. According to the word of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible tells us that for you and I, we have been recipients of God communicating the word, the oracles of God through the Jewish people. And tonight, you know, most of us in this room, not all of us, but most of us in, in this room are Gentiles of skin. We're Gentiles of skin. I, I join in with the scriptures and what Rabbi Paul said, that there are those who are, who are circumcised in the flesh, but they don't worship God. But that God is looking for hearts that are circumcised. Not with the circumcision of men's hands, but with the circumcision of God's hand. And the cutting away of the unbelieving heart 
the love of God, the forgiveness of God. And my favorite prophet in the Old Testament is Isaiah. In fact, the, for, for my Jewish friends who are viewing right now, who may be here right now, what you may not know is that the prophet Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament by the Jewish authors. The Jewish authors of the New Testament quote Isaiah more than any other prophet. I find it fantastic and awesome that Jesus himself quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Bible. What does that mean? Well, it means this. In Isaiah chapter 49, the Bible says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. My hope tonight is in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I may be a Gentile on the outside. There's nothing I can do about that. But on the inside, I worship the God of the Jews. On my ring, it says, your people shall be my people, your God, my God. And I thank God that in his grace and his abundance, the gospel first went to Jerusalem, to Israel, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And for that, I'm very thankful. So tonight, we are honored this evening to have with us the Consulate General of Israel. His background is extensive. Born in Bethshin in northern Israel, a place that many of us have visited, by the way. He served in the Israeli Defense Force in the Golani Brigade. That is a, an amazing group, we know. We have visited with them in the past. Graduated from Bar Elan University and earned his master's in communications at Fordham University in New York. Israel Barkha was appointed general counsel of Israel for the Pacific region in May of 2023. He is the founder and CEO of Barkhan Strategies, consulate general also, of course, of Israel. He has been a close confidant and advisor to many influential politicians in Israel and is often consulted for insight and understanding. He has led a global campaign and advised non-governmental organizations and multinational corporations in the fields of telecommunications, finance, and energy. Mr. Barkar is a regular contributor on Israel's most popular news channels, but tonight we have him to ourselves. Give a warm welcome to the Consulate General of Israel, Israel Barkha. <laughs> Dear friends, it is wonderful to be here with such a joyful gathering of believers. I stand here representing the state of Israel at its darkest time and its modern history. On October 7th, our nation 
was forever changed. As the people of Israel awoke on Simchat Torah, a holiday celebrating the Holy Bible, Hamas infiltrated our border and unleashed a reign of terror unlike anything the world has ever seen. It was the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. Hamas slaughtered our families in the most brutal ways imaginable. Holocaust, for, Holocaust survivors were gunned down in their homes. Whole families killed and burned. Women raped and then murdered in cold blood. Babies beheaded and one baby baked alive in an oven. And hundreds more young people were murdered. What at a music festival for peace. The atrocities that Hamas committed against Israel proves again, this is not about territory. This is about terrorism. Anti-Semitic terrorism. Global terrorism. And make no mistake, Iran is the architect. Hamas is the proxy. Iran provides the funding, Iran provides the training, and Iran provides the hate. Iran wants to drag us all back to the caliphate of the seventh century with the overriding goal to kill all Jews and annihilate Israel. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a battle of good versus evil. To continue its reign of terror, Hamas took 240 hostages to Gaza. Men, women, children, the elderly, and even babies were taken captive. And trust me when I say, we are determined to bring all of our hostages home. Every waking moment, the hostages are foremost in our hearts and in our minds. We will not relent. We will not stop until we return them to their families. And when will we learn from history? When dictators and madmen vow to destroy you, believe them. Believe what they are saying. In 1939, we couldn't fight back. In 2023, we can and we are. We will destroy munition. We will find every bunker and hunt down every terrorist. Hamas will be destroyed. As it says, I brought my Bible. <laughs> As it says in Amos, chapter 1, verse 7, 
בחומות עזה ואכלי ארמונותיה. I will send fire into the wall of Gaza and it will consume its palaces. That's exactly what's going on now in Gaza. And when Israel dismantles the terrorist regime on its border, America will be safer. The world will be safer. And when we restart our military operations, we will do everything in our power to minimize any civilian casualties, keeping our moral compass intact. Let me share with you one example. Shifa Hospital in Gaza. We knew the danger. We knew that it was being used as a Hamas command center. And yet, we brought in incubators for newborns at the risk of our, of our soldiers' lives. Hamas kills and kidnaps babies. We risk our lives to save babies. Hamas believes it can win over God's prophecy and its fulfillment. They believe it. <laughs> They seek to destroy us and to make a liar of our prophets. But they will never win. We know they will never win. Nobody can win against the Bible. As it says in Amos, Unta'atim al-admatam velo inachu. Velo inachu od al-admatam asher natati lahem amar Adonai Elohecha. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Zionism is the story of prophecy fulfillment. And Zechariah proclaimed, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the land of the east and west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. In this house of believers, we know the prophecies are now being fulfilled. We can see prophecy all around us. The gleaming of the city of Jerusalem, the ingathering of the exiles, and believe Israel will remain strong and will prevail in this war against evil. And we will do it with you, our Christian's friends. Yeah. And we are dependent on you in this dark hour. 
all of you in this room, our faithful allies. And Pastor Jack, you are a legend among the Israel community. I am proud to call you Achi in Hebrew, a brother and a friend. And we need our Christian friends now more than ever. <laughs> Unfortunately, rallies for brutality fill the streets of every nation. Israel's enemies are everywhere. They are distorting the truth, lying about our people and our soldiers and our nation. But we have no fear. We know we are guarded by the God of Israel, who promises not to slumber or sleep. We know with friends like you, as watchmen on the tower, truth and justice will prevail. Just a few weeks ago, I was in Washington at the largest Israel rally in the U.S. history. Hundreds of thousands of people from all backgrounds and faith declaring their support for the Jewish homeland. I saw a battalion of lovers of Israel. While I was there, I visited Congress. I met congressmen. I saw the support of the American nations and of the American people. As our greatest ally, I want to thank the American government for immediately deploying carriers to the region to deter Hezbollah, a move that saved thousands of Israeli and American lives. We are now living in an historic moment in Jewish life and the life of Israel. And I ask you to take action. I call upon you to expand the ranks of the Battalion of Lovers of Zion. We must amplify the command. For Zion's sake's sake, we cannot be silent. If there, was, if there was ever a time not to be silent, the time is now. And least those who understand that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are the same fruit from the, from the same poisonous tree of Jew hatred. And least those who stand boldly and proudly for Israel. And least those not willing to accept anything less than zero tolerance for anti-Semitism. And enlist those who pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper that love thee. This moment is a dark and difficult moment. But in the midst of this darkness, there are rays of light. Amen. 
the light is seen in Israel unity and in Israel humanity. We see that light in our brave soldiers who fight fearlessly. And we see that light in our friendship with a Christian world such as you who have stood proudly alongside us shoulder to shoulder proclaiming truth no matter the cost. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your care and for your prayers and for your strength and your faith. Let me assure you, the people of Israel see you. The people of Israel feel the love and the support. And it lifts and strengthens and protects them. And we need it. And they need it back at home. And now, join me in the three most important words of our lifetime. I've noticed that you know Hebrew, so let's do it together. <laughs> Am Israel Chai. The people of Israel live. Second time, Am Israel Chai. Am Israel Chai. The people of Israel live. Thank you for this evening. Thank you, Pastor Jack. Thank you all for your support. Achim, my brother. Beautiful. We're going to pray soon, but not yet. We have now the opportunity to go live. He has gotten up very early. I feel for him. But um, many of you will recognize Daniel Cohen. He, uh, yep. So he... Um, as an award-winning journalist in Los Angeles and uh, now Middle East correspondent for Newsmax, uh, Daniel and his precious family have been dear friends of this church. Uh, Daniel and I have the opportunity to text each other several times a week now uh, with all that's going on. I love this guy. I love his passion, um, and he loves you. So, Daniel, we're going to just go live now to wherever you're at in Israel. Let us know. There he is. Yep, yep, yep. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, Pastor Jack. I just need a second. It's moving. Wow. The Consular General saying, I'm Israel High, man. It really right to my heart. And you're, you're a really gracious welcome to me and to your church and to everybody there. I'm, uh, my heart is touched. It's an honor to be with you here tonight. And yeah, like you said, Jack, it's early in the morning here in Israel. I'm in the Tel Aviv area, 10 hours ahead of you. Uh, but it's, a, it's an honor and uh, it's my pleasure. So first, let me tell everybody 
uh, a little bit of, about me. A Jewish believer in Yeshua, Jesus. I've been three. I'm an American Israeli. I'm the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. And I am the Jerusalem correspondent for Newsmax. Now, if that sounds like a lot of boxes to check and you're trying to figure how that works out, let me just tell you, uh, people here, I'm a bit of an anomaly as a Jewish believer in Yeshua. So people really can't figure me out. And, and I'm okay with that. Uh, one thing that I get a lot from people is that you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. And I remind <laughs> them that Jesus is Jewish and that I believe he, he is who he said he is. Messiah. Jewish parents, four Jewish grandparents, and I'm 100% Jewish. So let me give everybody a little backstory uh, because it's important for context. Three years ago, God plucked our family out of our comfortable Southern California life and planted us here in Israel. And the reason at first was for our children to meet their great grandmother, my grandma, who is an Auschwitz survivor. And I have to tell you, this was a miracle. God literally did the, the blue sky and the Red Sea to bring us here. In the height of the pandemic, the country was locked down. The airport was closed. They let us come when they weren't letting Israelis in to the country. God gave my wife and I a promise that he was sending us to Israel. And uh, it, it didn't make sense. But over time, it became clear <laughs> that God was planting our family in a new post here in the land. And we've been walking by faith and just trusting in him ever since. Uh, we saw pretty quickly the geopolitical tension that you know exists. The occasional rocket fire, yes, this is not new. What's happening? Uh, well, wait, let me take that back. There was rocket fire. We've seen terrorists fire rockets from Gaza. We've seen the terror groups, uh, you know, trying to, from Lebanon, right? Hezbollah. October 7th was different. Everything changed. For the last 55 days, my family, my wife, my kids, my boy, my two girls, 11, nine, and six-year-old, have been living in a war zone. And most of those days are uh, under rocket fire, running to and from bomb shelters. Uh, the red side, the, uh, there's an app on our phones that goes off. We know when the rockets are incoming. Uh, as a journalist trying to cover these stories, I, I watched Iron Dome picking off rockets as I'm standing there doing live reports for Newsmax. And if I'm having to run for cover, I know my wife is having to run for cover. So we call, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Yes, we're okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's normal. It's, uh, it's abnormal. But people here have gotten used to it and shouldn't and shouldn't have to. The first days of this war were really frightening. I mean, we, we didn't know if Hezbollah from the north was going to join in the rocket fire from Hamas in the south. The Houthis in neighboring Syria. I mean, Israel, as you know, is, uh, Jack, you teach so beautifully, but it's hemmed in by enemies on all sides. And uh, my wife and I were, uh, we were on our faces praying. I mean, praying like we've never prayed before. Praying for peace, praying for direction, uh, praying for understanding, for clarity. And sometimes it was just like, just trying to get a deep breath. Um, our friends and our family, they wanted us to leave. God gave us a peace to stay. And ultimately, we realized that the best place for us to be is in the center of God's will. And even if that didn't make sense to the rest of the world, and to make sense to the world, 
that's what we decided and that's what we've been doing. And I've had the opportunity to share incredibly powerful stories here from the land. Uh, for the last 55 days, our three beautiful children have been sleeping in our bedroom with the door locked. They sleep on camping mattresses, you know, on the floor. <laughs> 55 days, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Uh, but they're, they're scared. I mean, they're frightened and we understand it. I mean, we can't shield them from everything that's going on around us here. It is everywhere. It's in your face all the time. There are three hostages from this neighborhood that I'm talking to you from right now, whose faces and names are plastered all over the city. Kids see that. They have questions. Um, the kids' teachers, coaches, our friends, there are parents that have been deployed. They've had to leave their families. Uh, the IDF has called up 300,000 people to protect this country because Israel's house was invaded. And so here's what I want you to recognize, okay? First and foremost, this is a spiritual battle. The spirits and principalities of pure evil, evil manifest in the terrorists who are doing Satan's work. I mean, demonic forces that have been attacking God's people over the millennia, the century, and God's plans cannot be stopped. Depending, you may have also this out already too, but there's a huge war on information and really an assault on the truth. Thank God that he positioned me here for such a time as this, just like Esther, to be a watchman on the walls of Jerusalem. I was one of the journalists invited to a closed press viewing of the unedited raw footage of the massacres on October 7th. My wife and I prayed about going or not, you know, really letting those images in the eyes of the window to the soul, right? And do, do I even why have kids? I know what they did to kids. Do I want to see that? Can my heart, can I handle that, right? Mm -hmm. Even as I think about what I saw now, I'll never shake some of that. But as a journalist, as a Jew, as a grandson of a Holocaust survivor, I felt a duty that I needed to be there. And as prepared as I thought I was, I've seen some things as a reporter, you see things, right? But this, it was impossible to be ready for this. It was sickening, uh, demonic, disturbing. They showed no mercy. Um, no one deserved to die the way they did. And this may be upsetting to you, but you know, the army didn't even want to show us. They, the, the Israeli army, before they showed us this 43 minute video said, we, we don't want anyone to have to see this, but we're showing you because people don't believe it. And a friend of mine who's high up at the IDF said, Dan, we didn't, we didn't even show you the worst. Uh, you may find this upsetting, but after they did all the things, and let me tell you, it happened, it's true. All this, I'm not gonna go through the laundry list, you know, but they urinated and defecated on dead bodies of the Israelis, of the Jewish people that they had just slain. And they wore video cameras. They wore, they wore GoPros. They wanted to invite the world in to see, at the, the, to glorify the atrocity. How do you capture that in words? How do you describe that? And people, intelligent people, refused to believe it happened me of making it up. Watch the live shot. It's on my Instagram. Right after, you can't, they said it, it was uh, AI. They said I was acting. 
My reports have been censored, um, no explanation, but I'm determined to continue just telling the truth. That's the job that God wants for me here. So uh, for weeks I've been posted in a place called Hostage Square in the heart of Tel Aviv, hundreds of family members desperate to know how their loved ones are doing. Uh, they have people that have been taken, ripped out of their beds, October 7th, Saturday morning, Simchat Torah, which is the day that Jewish people celebrate God giving the Torah, right? It was a holiday. And people that don't know if their loved ones are alive or dead, babies that were taken, uh, were they getting the diaper change? Were they getting formula fed? Who knows? Can you imagine the psychological terror that that would do to you if that's your family or your loved one? They just, they would sit there holding signs uh, and just wanting to share their story. Anybody, anyone that would listen, like, please help. I've, I've sat with these people as they cry, as tears just stroll down their face and this righteous anger would just come out of them. Um, we're close friends in this community with a family who had five loved ones, five kidnapped by Hamas. And praise God this week, just a few days ago, two of the children in this particular family, they were released. Uh, their father is in captivity right now in Gaza, but two of their loved ones were murdered. It was an 80 year old woman with a heart condition and a 13 year old girl who had special needs. That's who Hamas killed. So I'm taking my position right now, and I'm taking my place here, no matter the cost. And I'm touched by all of you. What does it look like to stand with Israel? I can tell you firsthand, people's hearts here have been ripped. Ripped. <clears throat> and as painful as it is, we are seeing Jewish people come to faith. The veil is lifting are softening. We need the church to stand with Israel. We need the church to harness the power of the Holy Spirit and stand in the gap, intercede now. Never before. We need the church to exercise her spiritual gifts. Intercessors, pray. Get on your face and pray. Pray for strategic victory. Pray for supernatural protection for the soldiers here, uh, for a spiritual awakening to continue, that the people here would seek the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and for comfort, and keep it up, because this is a marathon. This is going to be a long battle. Um, I know firsthand a soldier in Gaza right now who had an angelic encounter. Last week, there was a miracle story. A soldier was shot. And he had a small book of Psalms in his uniform pocket that stopped the bullet. I mean, wow. Google it. Look it up. It's incredible. Um, there are stories that are coming out. I would encourage you, ask the Lord today where he wants to put you in this fight for Israel. Ask him today. How can he use you? He may send your family to the Middle East. Probably not like mine. But he may do something even greater. And all that takes on your part is saying yes. Just say yes. Say yes. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Yes, Lord. God can't move parked cars. Say yes. And just watch and see what God does. And lastly, I'll say this. There is opportunity right now for the church to love the Jewish people in a radical way. Mm -hmm to break the stereotypes that, that, uh, the church, that Jewish people believe the church is anti-Semitic, 
uh, that uh, you're just trying to convert them from Judaism. You can be Jewish and believe in Yeshua. You can. It's not a conversion. You have an opportunity right now to love the people of Israel, to love the Jewish friends and your neighbors, people at school, at work, in your life. Uh, those people, I promise you, on the outside, they may look okay, but mm -hmm. they're not okay. Anybody with a connection to this land, deep down, they're not, they're not okay. They need to be comforted, and they need to see, and they need to experience the radical love of Jesus. And you can be that. You can be the hands and feet. You can do that. Amen. So I would just encourage you, go love. Love those people in your life. Love them boldly. Love. Just love them. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does best in Amen. the hearts of men. Amen. Uh, Jack, as, as, I, uh, as I send it back to you, I just want to say, you know, one other thing. Today is November 29th, 1947. Today was the day that the UN approved the partition plan to create two states, to create a, a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Israelis, the Zionists uh, in that moment, the Jews accepted. They said yes created this prosperous, wonderful nation, right? And the Arabs didn't. That, and we can see that they've been at war ever since. Mm -hmm. But that decision in 1947, the partition plan, today, November 29, 1947, was huge in the creation of Israel in 1948. I was at the Knesset today in Jerusalem, and there was a prayer, just solidarity event uh, as well. And Speaker, House Speaker Mike Johnson just prayed a beautiful prayer. Um, but... The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. They are powerful and woman and effective. So I would just tell you, remember, it's a spiritual battle and pray. Yes. You know, as a Kohen, the Kohanim, they were, they were, their duty was to pray a blessing over, the, over Israel, the sons of Aaron. And so, Jack, I want to, I want to pray the Aaronic blessing number six for you in Hebrew. Yes. And I'm going to send it back to you, okay? And if everybody, if you want to extend a hand, extend a hand toward Jack or yep. toward the stage or not. But I'm just going to say... Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace and give you his shalom. Amen. Love you, Daniel. I'm Israel Love you, Daniel. Love you, Daniel. Yeah. Wonderful. We're going to close in prayer, and to lead us in prayer is a lover of Israel. She's known for that. She's the CEO and president of Concerned Women for America. She's a nationally recognized author on cultural issues, children's issues, women's issues, named as one of the top four most powerful, outspoken pro-life females. She's a Newsmax contributor. She's been recognized as among the 100 most influential evangelicals in America. She stands with the Israeli Alliance Foundation as one of the top 50 Christians in standing for Israel, Penny Nance, is a leader on the issues of pro-life messaging and policy. She has appeared on all of the news channels that you all know. She's been a featured and numerous uh, time uh, publication or uh, 
one that contributes to the New York Times, the USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post. And Nancy served on President Trump's Life Advisory Council and was blessed to work in and out of the White House. And so Nancy is going to lead us, or Penny's going to lead us in prayer tonight. And that means if you stand in prayer, if you kneel, if you want to get on your face, do it. But she's a woman of prayer. She is a fighter. I met her, I think it was at a Trump gathering. I was on President Trump's faith advisory team. She was on the life advisory team. But um, just a woman who brings heaven down in prayer. So give a warm welcome to Penny Nance. I want to get you back up, though, in just a minute. You know, uh, I've heard a lot from people recently wondering, where are the women in this country? The fact that Israeli women were beaten, that they were raped, they were gang raped, they were murdered, and where are the feminist groups? But let me just tell you tonight that Concerned Women for America and our Young Women for America leaders and the women of faith around this country and in this room are standing for Israel. (laughs) Concerned Women for America are women like you, and many of you are members, by the way, who are standing for the truth. There's not your truth and my truth. There's the truth in the public square. And we will not back down. And this is our moment to speak. You know, Aslan is on the move. God is working. I am seeing miracles. And by the way, none of this is a surprise to God. He knew this moment was going to come. He's looked through the ages to this very moment. And I'm seeing things happen. Like, who knew a no-name congressman from Louisiana was going to be elected Speaker of the House? (laughs) 
my staff asked me when he was elected, do you have a picture of you and Mike Johnson? I know Mike Johnson. I'm like, no, I never knew I needed a picture with Mike Johnson. <laughs> I mean, he's one of, you know, 545 members. But he's a great man, and he's a godly man. And it is nothing short of a miracle that he was elected speaker. Now, joining me tonight is Marlo Tucker, who's our state director from California. If you stand up real quickly. And also, um, Faith Ozenbaugh, who's also our Young Women for America leader in California from this area. And she's a member of your church, actually. We have 250. You saw just a few of these Young Women for America chapters around this country. You know, when this all happened... We said immediately to our Young Women for America leaders, go to the Israel rallies. Because, of course, we're seeing horrific anti-Semitism breaking loose on college campus, we're in campuses. And we're like, sure, like, immediately the other people are going to stand up. Nope. Our young women said to us, there aren't any. And we said, well, we're going to fix that. So you saw a few, just a few of the rallies. We've done at least 10 already and more to come. Because we're going to stand for the truth on college campuses all over this country. And we are going to speak truth in the public square and stand for Israel. So support for Israel was one of our key issues that CWA added um, in 2013. And we have seven core issues. Of course, we're well known for the life issue. We stood on the steps of the Supreme Court for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. It's a moment I will never, ever forget. My father was a pastor from Appalachia for 51 years, and he passed two years ago, three years ago now. And uh, in memory of him, because he's the person who taught me to respect life and that God knit us together in our mother's womb. And we're fearfully and wonderfully made regardless of where we come from, or our cognitive ability, or our physical ability, or our socioeconomic status, God loves us, and he made us, and we must protect that. So I wore his ring around, because he'd already passed away, around my neck on a gold chain to remember him. But I also have to feel like at this moment, he's one of those clouds of witnesses that are leaning forward, because he also taught me to love Israel. And I've always loved Israel. I was raised to love Israel and to understand Genesis, understand the Abrahamic covenant, right? To understand those who love Israel, support Israel, he will bless them that bless thee, he will curse them that curse thee, and all the world will be blessed by you. And Pastor Jack talked about that. And we've seen that. Anybody that's had a PET scan, that came from Israel. So many of the things we're able to do in agriculture came from Israel. All the things, the technology they would have came from Israel. And they just want to exist. There's 55 majority Muslim nations in this world and one Jewish state. But this all changed a little bit for me when, when in 2013 I took my first trip to Israel. I was a guest of an organization called APAC. And when I was there, we saw, of course, the religious sites and we met, went to the Knesset and met members of the Knesset, which is their congress and saw amazing things and understood the real geopolitical issues around Israel. Well, one of the things we did is we went to Yad Vashem. Now, many of you may have been to the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington, D.C., and you should go if you haven't. But if you can go to Israel and go to Yad Vashem, 
you need to do it. And you start out and you walk into the museum and you walk across a bridge coming from the outside into the building. It's beautiful and bright and white. And you walk over some, uh, a bridge that has a noise. And, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of talking. All of a sudden, I'm like, what is that noise? And they said it replicates the sound of the trains taking prisoners to Auschwitz. And so through sight and sound, you understand what really happened in the Holocaust. You see the joyful faces of Nazi soldiers as they murdered Jews. You understand. You see the shoes. You see the pictures. And then when you're done with that, you leave and you go to another area, and it's the children's memorial. And you walk in, it's like almost underground, and you enter in a cylindrical room. And in the middle of that room is one candle. But that candle in your completely dark cylinder room is reflected by thousands of tiny mirrors. And it looks like stars. And by the way, a candle is the traditional way that Jews mourn death. But also in that room are pictures of children who died in the Holocaust. In fact, 1.5 million babies, children died in the Holocaust. And as you stand there and you walk through the room looking into the faces of these children, you hear their names and their ages and their countries of origin. So it sounds like this, and these are real names. Maria Kolbeck, age 10, Denmark. Edith Frank, age 12, Germany. Gregory Shee, age 3, Austria, and on and on and on it goes until you can barely stand to listen anymore. It would go for over 50 hours if you stood there long enough before it gets to the end of 1.5 million children. And when you walk out of that room, you come back into the light and you see a sign that says, the road to Auschwitz was paved with apathy. Think about that. As we collect ourselves outside this horrific testimony until what happens, we understand that the Christian church didn't stand up. We weren't there. And of course there's some notable differences you go to the righteous among the nations, the, the beautiful trees also on the property, and you learn about amazing people who for no personal gain risked everything to do the right thing to protect the Jews. And, of course, many of us know Corey Tim Boom, right? She's one of those. And so you get to the end of that, and there's a lot to think about. So in my experience, I left Yad Vashem, and we were going to Masada on my tour. And I hadn't been feeling well, and the tour guide asked me, you're, you're dehydrated, I want you to stay behind. And I said, okay. 
And so I stayed in the cafeteria, but I was really, you know, there was a lot going on in my head. <laughs> and I was really processing. And uh, maybe noting it, a Jewish woman ended up sitting by me and, and striking up a conversation the way strangers do. And she said to me, I, yeah, are you here on a tour? And I said, yes, I'm here on a tour. And she said, what have you been learning? And I said, I just come from Yad Vashem. And the question that is tugging at my heart and nagging at my heart is if I had been alive between the years of 1938 and 1945, if I were in Nazi-occupied Europe, what would I have done? What would I have done? Knowing that if I took Jews and hid them in my home, which is the right thing to do, I could go to the camps. And I kind of decided and I thought about it and I said, you know, I think maybe I can do it. But then I remembered I have children. <laughs> and if you bring some, you hide Jews, you all go. Your children go with you. What would I do? And the woman said to me, don't you think, I see you have a cross on, don't you think that your God would give you the grace to do the right thing? And I said, well, yes, but it's not his character that's in doubt, it's mine, right? And she said, you know, I don't think you're asking yourself the right question. The right question to ask, because you will never be able to figure out what you would have done back then, the question asks is, what will you do now? What will you do today? And I'm asking you that question. What will you do now? Because the goal of Hamas and terrorists and Iran is there to be Holocaust 2.0. There's no question. Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I say unto you, as you did unto the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. What are we going to do as unto Christ? We are called to this moment. I'm not sure why people didn't see it before, but we see it. We know. So here we are. In 2005, at the end of the second Antifada, Israel withdrew from Gaza unilaterally, giving them the whole thing. They even dug up their dead and took everyone out. And not everybody wanted to go because Jews had been there for decades. But they made them leave. But it wasn't enough. And then, of course, we know that the ceasefire officially ended because Hamas broke it on October 7th. And guess what? It took about 10 minutes for the world to turn and blame the Jews. The worst atrocities that I have maybe seen in my lifetime that I actually knew details about, and so did everyone else, and immediately, in about 10 minutes, it was the Israelis that were blamed. College campuses exploded in violence. In the days after the Hamas attack in Australia, a video was taken of people chanting, gas the Jews. In L.A., a man was screaming, kill the Jews, and he tried to break into a family's home. At Cornell, the Jewish center received bomb threats and students were threatened by mobs. In Indianapolis, a woman tried to drive her car into what she believed was a Jewish school. 
Students in New York have been forced to hiding in their library because they were fear, in fear of mobs. Teachers have been threatened for attending a pro-Israel rally. Ant- acts of anti-Semitic violence have risen more than 100% in, the two, in two months, just in the last two months. It's now. Never again is now. C.S. Lewis said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And this is one of those moments. So are you ready to fight for Israel? We're going to put on our armor and we're going to fight in the spiritual realm for Israel tonight. So stand with me if you would. Let's call out angel armies. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you prayer points. And I'm going to give you a few minutes to to enter corporate prayer. Silently or even out loud. Pray for all your heart for Israel. You can stand, you can kneel at your seat. However you feel led at this moment, pour your heart out for Israel. So first I want to ask you to pray for peace for Israel. Psalm 122, 6-8 says, Pray for peace for Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I say to you, Peace be with you. Jesus cried over Jerusalem. He saw through the ages, not just for spiritual reckoning, but also for what we have seen. The pogroms, the Holocaust, all of this. So if you'll join me now, quietly, let's pray for peace in Jerusalem. Dear Lord, our heart breaks for what breaks yours. Dear God, we pray for your people. Father, we pray for protection. We pray for leadership. We pray that you will have a great anointing at this time for the Israeli people. And God, we pray that they're able to wipe out Hamas. Lord, we know that your heart is with them and so is ours. We pray this in your name. Next, we're going to a time of prayer for the victims of Hamas. And I'm going to show you a picture. I'm just going to tell you a quick couple of stories that I just want you to know about in order to sort of have a frame of reference. This is Abigail Adon. She turned four in captivity. 
Her story is that she lives in a, a beautiful little kibbutz called Faraza, right on the border of Gaza, which, by the way, these aren't the right-wingers living in this kibbutz, right? These are the people who want peace and a two-state solution and open borders. I mean, these are the people who were living in peace and harmony. And on that fateful morning, little Abigail was out on the street with her father. And while she was gone, her, a Hamas terrorist came in. Her brother and her sister, ages 6 and 10, were there. And their mother put them in the safe room. And then he murdered her. He did not kill the children, but they had to wait for 14 hours without food, without water, with their mother's dead body to be rescued. And when they saw that their mother was dead and he had left the house, they ran out to the street looking for their father, and they saw their father holding little Abigail. She was three. And they saw Hamas fighter shoot him and murder him while he was holding Abigail, and he fell over on top of her. So they thought she was dead too. So they ran back into their safe room, as they'd been trained to do by their mother, took their phone, and texted family members that lived further away. But she wasn't dead. She wiggled out from underneath her father's dead body, covered in his blood, and went next door to the neighbor's house. These are people that live in community. She knew these people. And as we all would, they took her in, took her into their safe room, and the father, being a good man, went out to try to defend the kibbutz. And while he was out, they were all kidnapped. His wife, his children, his three children, and Abigail. We've prayed for Abigail. You saw her picture in the videos. We've prayed all over this country for Abigail. But I've got to tell you, praise the Lord. She's come home. But the story doesn't end there because she's come home as an orphan with no parents and a long road ahead of her to recover. I want to show you another picture of the Biba family. That's little Fear, who's 10 months old, and Ariel, who's four, and his two parents. They lived in a, another kibbutz, and they were taken. But this time, there's not a happy ending. We're looking for that baby. There's been word that, because they play psychological games, we don't know. But there's been word that they were murdered. We we don't know. The IDF is still looking. But God can do anything. God knew ahead of time that we were going to be praying here tonight, right? I believe in retrospective prayers. God's above time. And so... There's about 150 people still, still in captivity. These are elderly people. Some of them are Holocaust survivors. These are young men, and these are women and babies. So join me right now in prayer. And let me say before I begin that... in. I, we've been taking, we've been, one of the most deeply honoring things I've ever gotten to do in my entire life is we were asked to take families of these, these captives, American families. And by the way, Abigail is American. 
and connect them with members of Congress. And by the way, we have 24 hours to do it. <laughs> but Concerned Women for America, we know what we're doing. And God made a way, and we brought them to seven women senators in one day, all together to one crying and, and thanking them and pledging their support. And then that was Cindy Hyde-Smith put that together for us. Senator from Mississippi, pray for her. And then Kathy McMorris-Rogers, who's a dear sister in Christ and an incredible prayer warrior, brought together 15 House women members, Democrats and Republicans. And I literally sat across the table from Debbie Wasserman Schultz and nodded along with what she said. <laughs> that was a miracle. There was not a dry eye because we all know. And we looked at the pictures of little Abigail and we said, remember this face. When this war gets messier and messier and messier and they continue to blame the Jews. Remember when you have no respect for life and you use people for as human shields, innocents die. And so I prayed over those women, over those families this verse is from the Nevi'im, from, the, from their book. Jeremiah 31, 15 through 16. Thus says the Lord, a voice in Ramah, a lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children, and she refuses to be comforted for her children, for they are no more. But thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping. And your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Let's pray this right now over the captives. Dear Lord Jesus, we lift up the captives. We lift them up now as those that are still imprisoned. And God, men, women, and children, I pray that you will bring your angel armies around them. That not one hair on their head will be touched. And if it is, that that person will be struck dead in front of everyone. God, you are powerful. You have a flaming sword of justice, and we pray that you bring it and protect these little ones. And God, for baby Kafir, 10 months old, God, I pray that you will deliver him. And God, if he is dead, I pray for your justice to follow. Lord, I pray for the victims as they come back. Women who've been assaulted, children who've been assaulted, families that are broken, coming home to dead loved ones and broken lives, God, do a miracle. Do a miracle for them. And show us how we each can help. We pray, Jesus, in your name. You know, I, uh, I, I was also invited to come to the Israeli embassy and watch 46 minutes, the 46-minute film that the IDF, cobbled together, and as he said, it wasn't even necessarily the worst, from the GoPro cams on the bodies of Hamas, from the dashboard cams, from the cell phones of the victims, 
cobbled together something that I can only describe as 46 minutes looking into the pit of hell. I have never, ever been able to conceive of such evil. But what I was shaken by almost as much is the joy with which these evil terrorists did their evil deeds. The way they perpetrated their evil deeds with joy. We even have the cell phone footage, and I heard it, of a Hamas terrorist calling from the cell phone of a dead woman to brag to his parents that he'd murdered 10 Jews. His son, with their own hands, he bragged to them, put mommy on the phone. It's like he won a Grammy. And they were proud. They praised Allah for it. That is satanic. It is absolutely out of the pit of hell. And the people that face that head on right now are the young IDF soldiers and and other countries, Americans in supporting roles. But going into the battle are young men and women who who are 18 years old. They serve in the IDF before they go to the college, which makes me start to think about our colleges. They need something. They're different people. And these are the young people that are going in fighting complete and total evil. So let's pray for them tonight. Let's lift them up for protection before the Lord. Isaiah 62 says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation a burning torch. Let's pray for that burning torch. Heavenly Father, these young men and women who are well-trained, but also someone's children, kind of like our children, God, we pray for them. We pray for their older commanders who are making very hard decisions. And every decision means lives. God, protect them. God, I pray that not one more young IDF person will die. I pray, God, that you will protect them with, again, with angel armies surrounding them. Go forward in front of them and beat back Satan, God. Father, we pray. Amen. I want to pray for innocent Palestinians. Because we know in every conflict, the people that are hurt the worst are the innocent. Hamas has no respect for life. They take great pride in using their own children as human shields. There's a thousand Christians right now in Gaza hiding in churches. And we're working hard to get them out because they're afraid they're going to be slaughtered 
next. And guess what? They will be. So we want to pray right now for the innocents. Let's pray for Christians. Let's pray for innocent children, people who want out, who want to be protected, but have evil leadership, which a nation weeps and groans when they have unrighteous leaders. So let's pray now. Truly I say unto you, as you did in the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. So God, we offer a cup of water for the least of these. Let's pray. Dear God, you see every little life. You love children. You love innocence. You love the meek. Lord, will you protect them? Will you pull them away from the places that are in danger? Will you help them heed the warnings that the Israelis give when they say they're going to bomb a building that they know their innocence in? Will you with stop Hamas from not allowing them to leave? Will you allow them to go where they're safe, Father, and just go before them? And God, for our Christian brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray for um, Joel Rosenberg and others that are trying to move them into other and safer places. Make a way, God. And also, Lord, make sure that in that net that none slip through that are of evil, that only your people are freed and taken to the West Bank or wherever you have them to go. And finally, let's pray for our nation. So many things. So many things. Who knew that you barely scratched below the surface and out pours evil, poisonous anti-Semitism? Was I alone at being naive at that? We're dealing in a country that sexual nihilism is rampant. Men, the fact that there's men and women are in question in some people's minds. Confusion of young minds is being, people are being profiting, people are profiting from it. We've killed about 60 million babies in abortion. We're not caring for our elderly in some cases. And people love self more than God. That's how you know it's thin times, right? You know, all of the things that I saw in that 46 minutes of hell, all of that is a $700 flight away from here. Or perhaps a trip across the Rio Grande. We need to pray for our country to return to God and we need to pray for protection for America. And as I said, God's not surprised. He's putting his people in place. And he's got you here now. This is your time. This is your moment to stand, to act, to pray, to advocate, to educate. This is our time to come forward. So join me in prayer for the United States 
pray, Lord, we pray to the Lord for us to return to righteousness and to put our eyes back on the good shepherd. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal from, hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Let's pray for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight asking for one more chance for America. God, we pray that people's hearts will return to you. God, we pray as a church that we will be the the essence of Christ, that when we simply walk into the room that people can feel the Holy Spirit and know that we are your people. Lord, help us to speak words of love, words of wisdom, words of truth. Lord, help us to advocate for what's true and good and pure. God, I pray for the safety of America. Lord, I pray that you will withhold any ability for terrorists to do their evil deeds and hurt innocence on our shores. God, I pray that you will give our leaders wisdom to be one step ahead, always one step ahead. God, I pray for our members of Congress. God, I pray specifically for Mike Johnson. God, I pray that you will protect him and his family and that the many things that have been happening to him and his family that will be stopped, it will cease at this moment that you will protect them bodily, spiritually, in every single way, Father, that you, again, will empower him to stand for truth. God, I pray for the Senate. I pray for Chuck Schumer. God, I pray that you'll help him to continue to stand for Israel. And I pray for wisdom for our leaders to cut off the funding that is going from Iran to these ideological evil people, either in our universities, the Hamas terrorists, Hezbollah, all of those, God, that you will stop it. God, give us a way. Give us strategies and wisdom. God, I pray that above all, as your people, that we will stand for you, that we will say never again Never again, not on our watch, God. We will stand before you with our bodies if needed to protect the innocent and the weak. God, we are called in your name to care for the least of these, Lord. And tonight we commit, we recommit anew that tonight going forward we will pray, we will act, we will advocate, we will educate, and we will vote and we will stand for truth.